Hi, I'm Nate from Colorado. I'm Rochella in North Carolina. I'm James in London. And we are Friends in Formation, a podcast where three very different friends take your questions about life and faith with the goal of listening and learning and helping one another go deeper with God. Friends in Formation is produced by Renovare, a Christian ecumenical renewal effort offering resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. We'd love for you to join the conversation. Email us your questions to friends at R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E dot org. If we use your question in a future episode, we'll send you a coffee mug featuring the Friends in Formation logo. Nathan, you just told people about our new coffee mugs. I'm so excited about that. Can we talk about this for a minute? Oh, oh, let's do, please. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think people have seen our logo? They need to, right? It is so cool. I love it. It is. In case you haven't seen it, go to renovari.org and click on resources and then podcast, and you can see the Friends Information logo. It features a beautiful kintsugi bowl. And Nathan, you tell people what that is. I was so hoping that <laughs> <laughs> you said it so good. It's a broken bowl. It's a broken bowl. A broken yeah, so bowl. so your coffee mug will be broken as well, correct? <laughs> but it's no more than just a cost. broken bowl. It's more than a broken bowl. It's a yes. broken bowl that has been mended with precious metals and is therefore more beautiful and more valuable by virtue of having been broken and mended. It's a great metaphor for what we do here, don't you think? I mean, we, yeah. we're we all broken, all of us, but together and with the Lord's help, we help one another get well. That's good. And I, I'm, am I remembering correctly that it, it adds strength to the bowl? Yeah. It's repaired so it's- it, kintsugi is an, um, it's an ancient Japanese art of rather than tossing things the way we so often do now, it's the preservation of um, often just a household tool by mending. And it is it is then stronger and more beautiful and more valuable because it's been mended. So it's a beautiful art. It is a great art. And we're glad to give away these to everybody who we speak to. So if anybody is coming in on this and you send us a question and we ch- choose it, then it will come to you. I think it's only in the States, actually. I don't think we're sending them international just yet, but we'll oh, see yeah. how we Problem go. Problem with the mails. Yeah. The mail shops <laughs> and everything else. So, But anyway, it's, it's a great idea. It's just a way to say we're so pleased to have these entries. That's right. And we can all have coffee or tea together, at least virtually, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Well, the first person I want to talk with today, this is Virtual Coffee, a listener named Judy who asks a very helpful question, I think. Judy says, what disciplines are helpful for growing humility other than service? Also, how do you define humility? There's a nice poignant question for you. How do you de- <laughs> let's, let's start at the end. How do you define humility? How do you humility? find humility? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's be careful with this one because, again, it can so easily be turned into law and it can so easily be turned as a way to be hard on ourselves so i think we want to be careful not to be too hard on ourselves or to turn this into a law well i think we've got to be careful when we approach this issue not to use it to beat up on ourselves very often people 
Well, yes, because people can very often have a low view of themselves. And then this comes along and we're told, be humble, be humble, everybody. <laughs> so whatever view we had on ourselves, we even squeeze or suppress. So just be careful about that. One of the comments that Richard Foster often says is, beware of the humble, humble, beware of the <laughs> humble, humble. And what his meaning is, be careful not to just use this as a as an excuse or to be apparently a humble individual because I don't like to talk about myself and I don't want to show off. And we can be very false about it. We can be very artificial. So I think I just want to start there with some you know, health you know, cautions about this. I love that you brought up the humble mumble, James. The background to that is actually, um, I believe it was Dallas said to my dad, knock it off, quit doing the humble mumble. People would compliment him and he'd get embarrassed <laughs> and just go, oh, thank you, thank you. And, and part of that was acknowledge it. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, take it, receive it. Yeah. And, and I think that speaks a little to humility that um, it's not beating ourselves up and it's not, you know, being afraid to, uh, acknowledge reality and the and the truth that um, we sometimes do really helpful things in, in life. So my definition of humility uh, is simply to have an accurate view of yourself. Truth. Bingo. I think that's exactly right, Nate. In fact, I thought a lot about this question when I was writing my book, Mythical Me. For listeners who don't know, I wrote a book called Mythical Me: Finding Freedom from Constant Comparison because that was my lifelong struggle, always comparing myself with other people. And you might think that the reason I was comparing myself with other people is because I was so humble. Actually, nice. I had to think about that. I, it, it was a problem with understanding who I am, understanding how I am to be in relationship with God and others. So Here's what I say about true humility, and I think it dovetails nicely, Nathan, with what you just said. True humility lies in accepting that we are not the ultimate authority. Humility is not thinking poorly of ourselves. It is accepting what God says about us rather than what we say. And what God says about us is the truth. And God says that we are His beloved children, that Christ dwells in us and that we are raised up and seated with Christ. That sounds very lofty, but that's what God says about us. And I think you're right. The truth, accepting the truth, is where mm. we reach humility. That's very helpful. Gosh, that's so good. And I would just want to underline the importance of the book that you've produced, IVP, I think it is, isn't it? Produced by IVP. It is. And here's where I'm Humble to mumble. Say, oh, Come on now. James, <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Here's a good example. <laughs> Come on. Right, you right, do it, yeah. Shelley. <laughs> but I do think it's an excellent, I mean, what you've covered in that is really you know, helpful. And the other thing I just add is, is we sometimes can misuse that, you know, I must decrease so he can increase. Now, that's an interesting mm -hmm line of course we want to understand that as it should be it doesn't mean we negate who we are it it doesn't mean we squeeze out who we are it just means we elevate you know jesus 
Right. And we, we, we don't say, well, I have to be, I'm not important. No, we are important. God is so glad we are here. So it's not like trying to erase who I am, the person I am. It's about elevating him beyond that. And I just think getting those things in the right order, to love others as ourselves is important. So we need to have, as we said, an accurate understanding of, of us. We come fully into our own as we journey in our becoming more and more like Jesus. Right. Mm. The the fact that, that God created us with such wonderful variety says a lot about God and his yeah. goodness and his desire that we all live in relationship. Right. So we're not trying to become negated within ourselves. We're trying to become our true selves in relationship with Jesus. To answer Judy's very good question about disciplines that might be helpful, one I would say at the get-go is the discipline of study. And in particular, I'm thinking here of a couple of very helpful texts. One of those is the book of Philippians. You'll remember the second chapter of Philippians encourages us to imitate Christ's humility. So I would say, let's study what Christ's life was like. Now, that can be a very broad study, You can just read through the Gospels, but I'd say choose one Gospel, and as you go through it, just look for the things that Jesus actually did, Mm. because we are trying to imitate His humility. Well, that says that Jesus was humble, right? Mm -hmm. How was He humble? As the Scriptures say, He didn't consider His position something to be held onto, but He gave Himself away. How did he do that? Well, the Gospels give us some hints. So I would say studying, just studying the life of Christ and making note of the things that Jesus did is one way to start. I can add to that. And maybe first just say, I'm really glad she asked this question because it it shows a heart. Mm. Like, I want to be humble. I mean, that's that's beautiful. And, yeah. and I think I would venture to say that if this isn't a question we're working with, um, something might be amiss, that growing in humility, mm-hmm. it, it seems to have no end in in, in a sense. Now, mm-hmm. she mentioned service, something other than service. Service is good. I don't want to gloss over that. I, I think mm-hmm. take a year or two really intentionally serving in, in some capacity, and particularly if you can in hidden service, and just notice what goes on. Pay attention to Wait, wait, wait. Say that again, Nathan. Particularly in what? Uh, hidden, hidden yeah. service. Ah. Yeah. Cause, cause I can get a lot of accolades uh-huh. with service. Right. Right. And, and I can, it can be a little messy, but if I'm doing service where no one knows <laughs> uh, and then pay attention to what happens internally and that kind of desire to be valued uh, mm-hmm. or, or seen. Um, I will give one other discipline that I think it can be helpful. And that's that of solitude disconnect. Um, particularly disconnecting from uh, social media or email for a season, what we find is that the world goes on fine without us, and mm-hmm. and we're maybe not as significant or important as as we thought, and that's okay. But and I'd, I'd echo for you too, Rochelle. That was great of study life of Jesus. Yeah. And just one from me: that act of hiddenness, I think, is such a helpful thing. To engage in acts of you know, hiddenness, of 
you give something to somebody and they have no idea who it came from, that's a really fun exercise. But there's others. Try to go through a day without saying anything bad about another person. Make that just a practice. I will say nothing critical. They might say, well, that's every day. Yes, but do one <laughs> day that's that's particularly focused on that. How about the discipline of not having the last word? Absolutely. In a discussion argument, that's that's a, that's hard, isn't it? You know, you've got to prove I'm right. Well, how about just okay, that's okay. I'll stop there. And then with all these things, see what it does to you. See what impact mm-hmm. it has on you. Does everything in you scream out? I need to be heard. I need to be heard. I need to be seen. People need to affirm me. Mm -hmm. And certain personality types find this a much harder exercise, you know, others do. And if it is a particular issue of yours, it it, it may not be that you're particularly a bad individual. It's just this is one that's going to challenge you. So, so again, let's not be too hard on ourselves with this one. I hope that's helpful. Absolutely appreciate that both of you have said something about hiddenness. So I think, I mean, what would we call this? The almost the discipline of um, secrecy. Yeah. Just yeah. just making ourselves available to serve in whatever way. And honestly, that could be something as simple as all right, every day in my house, I will empty the dishwasher and not say a word about it. (laughs) Or at the office, I will clean out the coffee pot and not say a word about it, whatever. But if I think you're right, James, if we're straining for attention, then we begin again. Always we begin again. As someone straining for attention, I have another question. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm honest, I don't think God has done well by me. Well, we have heard that. I mean, that's that's one that Talos Willard even referred to when he was challenging preachers to address the issues that people genuinely have rather than the ones we think we want them asking us. You know, he said, there are people out there who who truly feel that God has not done well by them. And um, please, could we, in our preaching, could we you know, handle that? And I think that's a very important personal issue. So I'm glad that's been asked. Mm-hmm. You know, it strikes me that I think maybe the heart of this question, at least in part, comes from some mistaken ideas that so many of us have of God, as though we somehow have to protect God's reputation. We we can only hold up that which is good or exciting or, you know, praiseworthy in the eyes of the world and attribute that to God. And we can never say things are hard. And I know God is with me in the hard. It's like we only want God to be responsible for the exciting times. Now, it is true. God is good, and in Him is no darkness at all. But God is in the difficulty. And 
God can take our hardest questions, I think. I don't think God's feelings are hurt when we bring the hard questions to Him. Right. I like this question. I'll take a stab at it. And as someone who fluctuates from severe and crushing disappointment in life to overwhelmed with gratitude, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I live in a tension um, mm-hmm. between those. One of the things that has occurred to me in, in working with that is some of my expectations and assumptions and how a sort of prosperity gospel has weaved its way into my thinking about God. That if I'm doing the right things mm-hmm. or if I'm, you know, seeking uh, God, that um, my life will be comfortable or uh, it, things will work out well. And, and I certainly can find scripture to support mm-hmm. that, particularly uh, in, in, in the Old Testament. I'm drawn to some of the New Testament ideas of suffering and, and find that comforting to some extent. One verse in particular, verse Peter 4, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Not interesting that potentially in suffering, mm. done with sin. There's a lot there to explore, isn't there? There's a lot mm-hmm. to explore there. And this, I'm so glad this has come up because God mm-hmm. has not done well by me is such a pervading issue. I'm very struck by Trevor Hudson's line, one of our speakers and friends, who says, many people have to sit by the pool of their own tears. I think if people were more honest, they would say that's what they're experiencing. They're having to sit by the pool of their own tears. And then he says, and our place in that, those of us who are friends with people who struggle with this, our job is just to sit alongside them, just to sit with them. And maybe perhaps once in a long while we can say a word, but the primary emphasis on is to sit with them. I think whether it's a a gender thing or a affluent thing or a Western thing, the pressure is so long to come up with an answer, to give you mm-hmm. an answer, give you an answer. Whereas the deeper need that we have is for someone to sit with us, to actually, you know, be able to hold us. I'm not necessarily saying in a physical way, but in a a spiritual, psychological, pastoral way to be held, to sit with them. And and I think that's a very important, you know, Paul says in Galatians, um, in chapter 6, to bear one another's burdens. I'm not sure how well we understand that. I think in an affluent society, that's the one thing you buy yourself out of, is having to bear one another's burdens. If you're living, I visit um, you know, Africa, I visit poorer parts of um, you know, China, and when your house is right next door to the next house or your corrugated iron is next door to the corrugated iron and you can hear everything, you can hear them cough and cry and, and you have to bear one another's burdens much, much more, at least as the opportunity mm-hmm. to. And I just feel we've lost that because we have brick walls and partitioning and we can't hear each other. 
but the proximity. And therefore, we have to go out of our way to bear one another's mm -hmm. burdens. And I would just encourage us to do that and think, well, how can we do that? How can we make that happen for people? I have found a good bit of help in the Psalms, and particularly the fact that the many of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. I, th I think you are spot on, Nate, when you say that a bit of the prosperity gospel has seeped into many of our beliefs. But in the Psalms of lament, I mean, Jesus quotes from one on the cross. When Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting what in, in our Bibles, it's Psalm 22. And it's the moving through the feeling of being forsaken or having been forsaken, having lost everything. It's, it's that feeling that we, we have to go through before we can get to the praise. But if all we want to do is to point to just the gladness and the thanksgiving and the hosannas and the hallelujahs, then we're cutting out a lot of real life. Because in real life, there is a lot of suffering. And I think that the person who posed this question is one of the few of us who is actually being honest. Mm -hmm. I think most of us at some time or another, most of us feel that the boundary lines for us have not fallen in pleasant places. And mm -hmm. if we can enter into lament and simply say, God, my, my wife is sick. My child died. My best friend has cancer. My neighbor has lost everything. All, all of these things that are part of real life can be dealt with honestly only if we'll admit that they exist and that we need to process them. Yeah, I would go with that entirely. Um, one of the issues I think is what is prosperity? Because mm -hmm. we say, or oh, we, you know, be careful of the prosperity gospel. Well, God wants us to <laughs> prosper. It's it's what your definition of prospering is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, who is well and off? I think it needs, well, who's well off? Who has it mm -hmm. all? And um, so, so let's be careful not to reject prosperity. It's just let's be clear as to what prosperity is. And of mm -hmm. course, God hasn't done well by me, assumes a certain sense of prosperity, what prosperity uh, looks like, what doing well by somebody ought to cash out as in reality. And mm -hmm. I think, you see, our role, our role with, with people is to make, is to talk about the availability of the kingdom. That's what we're here to do. We're, we're here to show people the availability, the proximity. And the, the, the invitation is to, to work out together what that means so what mm -hmm. does the kingdom of God mean to me with a health condition, with the background I come from, with the story that I have, with the things that I've been through? What does that look like? And each other, you are helping me work out my own story. Um, mm -hmm. Have I mentioned the C.S. Lewis, the horse and his boy? Have I mentioned that? before mm -hmm. where 
Well, at the end of that story, they'd be on this amazing adventure and so on. But the and the, as often happens, the girl has a little interview with you know Aslan, and then the boy has an interview as well. And the boy goes to Aslan and says, "You chase that girl through this entire story. She was really very scared. Why? Why did that happen?" And Aslan says. I only tell you your own story. I only mm. tell you your own story. And then the girl goes to Aslan and says a similar, I, I won't get this completely accurate, but um, the girl goes and says, and you you chased him and you even, your claw even scratched his back and drew blood. What was going on? What was that about? <laughs> and Aslan says, I only tell you your own story. And that the meaning behind that is that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to understand our own story. On mm-hmm. the comparative chart of prosperity, it calls into question what is prosperity. And I think that's a helpful thing. But we shouldn't give up on the aspiration to find our own story or to give up on the aspiration to work out what prosperity could look like for me. Does that make any sense? It really does. I actually like that. I, can I tell you guys a quick story? Mm-hmm. A number of years ago, there was a situation that I, I genuinely felt called to. And um, in, in few, I've only had a few of those um, where I, I really felt that. And, and it didn't, go well at all in fact it was quite awful and <laughs> I, i'll never forget this i was on a on a walk going through this park and i was i was going through those psalms with all the colorful metaphors of uh you know what is going on i thought you called me to this <laughs> and i had this striking uh sense of of god saying to me you you assume that you're going to be comfortable and enjoy it and it's going to be you know a positive and, and, and it was right. I mean, I just assumed God called me this, so it's going to go well and blah, blah, blah. But in terms of prosperity, oh, good God, I learned so much. And, and it was uh, so mm. helpful. But because I didn't enjoy it and because it hurt, I, I assumed that, that uh, uh, I got something wrong or that God wasn't, wasn't in right. it. Um, so it's wow. always stuck with me in, w- with some of this. That's a powerful story, Nathan. Could I recommend a resource? Yeah. A, a relatively new book, but one that's really helpful. It's written by K.J. Ramsey. And the name of it is This Too Shall Last. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not This Too Shall Pass, but This Too Shall Last. Finding Grace When Suffering Lingers. And I'll read you just a tiny excerpt. Served. The world has always worshipped strength. God chose weakness to display his love. The spectacle of God's love was never power or prestige, but descent. And it's those who wear the spectacles of tears who best glimpse this beautiful descent. God became human with blood that would spill and a heart that would break to unite us to love that lasts. The one with power gave it up so that in our powerlessness, we could know his presence. Somehow it's when we're seated instead of standing, well aware of our lack of strength, that we can most clearly see His. Beautiful. 
Well, look, I'd like to jump in with another really helpful and important question here. I won't say who it's come from, and I won't read all of it because there's several parts. But the essence of it is when I read the Gospels, I read about the kingdom of God and being a part of it and proclaiming the kingdom rather than just a salvation message to get people saved. Mm. I have much to learn, but feel as a square peg in a round hole when attending church. Mm. From this background, I feel disappointed with church and not totally aligned with who they are. How do I handle this? Is my head too big? (laughs) And then he asks, how do you find a spiritual director and other things? So look, this issue of, you know, church, right? Mm -hmm. People, you know, struggling with church and being part of it. I I just love to get your ideas on this because this is one of the big issues that comes up very often with us. And we should say right off the bat, we are very much pro-church here, right? (laughs) I don't ever want our answer to be, oh, well, you just, you don't need the church anymore because you have Renovari. No, indeed. (laughs) Renovari is (laughs) is no substitute for the church. We love the church, the bride of Christ. It's very important. And this question is important. I appreciate the honesty behind it. I'll take a stab at it, in part because I relate in in ways I'm embarrassed to say. And I can share a little about how I've worked some of that out. And and maybe to hit on your point, Rochelle, the the phrase that, you know, the church is God's plan A. Like that's, uh, God's still very intent on uh, working out the church and and a space for people to be together and to gather and to worship and to learn and to serve. However, to be quite honest, the church historically as good as it's been and helpful, it's been a force of destruction through through the years mm-hmm. in, in many cases. Here's what I do. I don't go, it's about expectations. And maybe that fits a little before. I have this expectation that in the church, people are going to care. They're, they're going to be seeking truth. They're going to be there for me when I need them, you know, this kind of thing. And, and that's not helpful. <laughs> at all to, to, to go in with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, although that's there, you know, at times, but here's what I do. When I attend, I try to be helpful. I look for ways that I can serve. And that may mean that I'm, you know, there's an older lady in, in the back that seems kind of lonely and I'll go, you know, engage. It may mean that, uh, during the service I'm praying and I'm praying for the person speaking and for the musicians and, uh, I'm fully engaged in the, in the process as opposed to sitting back, being critical, mm. sitting back, you know, oh man, they're so off here. This is just, you know, oh, whatever. Uh, I'm not getting anything out of this and, you know, well, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> My job is, you know, there's other things for me to do there. Uh, that are extremely helpful. If I can pull myself out of a consumer mentality, what can I get from this? It's been helpful, quite helpful. Mm-hmm. That's helpful. That's yeah. good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, what are you going for? As we've said, I'm also very pro-church and this period we've been where we haven't been in church as much and we can't sing and everything has been hard. I found it particularly hard because I think it is such an important place to praise God, to worship him in song and music and other ways. But that collective act, I think, is a 
very important reason why we want to go. Now, admittedly, it's not always the best, and sometimes it's not very high standard. But my point is, when you're hungry, you'll eat off any plate. (laughs) And I think going hungry, if the attitude is to serve, let the attitude also be to be hungry. I'm not going there with a scorecard. I don't think it's helpful to dissect the sermon in the car home afterwards in a critical way. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's just just you know, hold off. We're going hungry. We're looking for Jesus in it. We don't have to um, eat you know everything on the plate (laughs) but let's eat what we can eat you know let's enjoy what we can and when we go hungry you know you'll find god shows up in unexpected spaces a line in a hymn Mm -hmm. a verse of scripture something else in the service is gonna speak but you've got to have the eyes you know after it if you don't have those eyes then you're not going to spot it Can I just say this on church? It's very easy to exit, you know, church. And I do understand why people say, I just can't handle it. But I want to make the case for church because it challenges, church for me challenges the lies I tell about myself. Being with others challenges the mistruths, the untruths, the half-truths I tell about myself. Either tell about myself that I'm a fabulous individual (laughs) and aren't I successful, and they say, we don't care. (laughs) We're not interested in how successful you are, James. So that's very good. Or the opposite of what I think I'm so terrible and worthless and everything else. And they say, you're great. We care about you. You are fabulous. So that's a really good reason for going to church. And you can't get that with, you know, Apple iTunes or, you know, signing up for things on the internet. You really can't. And the last one is it's very easy for affluent white middle-class people to take this very high view of churches. Oh, I don't go anymore because it's so, you know, superficial, the worship's so bad, everything. It's fine for you. You'll be okay. You'll you'll get what you need out of life. But if you're not in that privileged group, you don't have a lot of choice. You need to go for that. So let's be careful not to throw our toys out of the pram, as we say, (laughs) you know, and go off in a in a sort of higher, holier-than-thou mm-hmm. attitude. It's mm-hmm. messy. It's dirty. It's not 100%. It won't deliver everything we're after. That's why we should go, because <laughs> as you said earlier, it's for the others we're there for. And if we really care about community, we really care about you know justice you know, mm-hmm. issues, we re- really care about they'll know we are Christians by our love, we kind of need to be with people we might not find easy to Mm -hmm. love in order to demonstrate that, don't you think? (laughs) Those are just some ideas. James, what you just said reminds me of a a very popular Christian writer I have read at times who one point said, 
you know, I've graduated from church. And what he was saying was that that he worships in other ways. And in defense of his statement, he said, "I, I just don't really get anything out of congregational singing. I don't like praise music, and I don't really like to sit and listen to a sermon. So I worship by taking a walk in the woods. That sounds pretty. And yet, James, I think what you just said is right. That's very much a a statement of privilege, isn't it? Hmm. Maybe maybe all of us could use a little more being a square peg in a round hole. Hmm. I, I just keep coming back to the fact that God, it, 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 God's identity is community. God reveals God's self to us as a community of persons. And that's the image in which we're created. Not, not the image of the one who doesn't need others or can't quite bring himself or herself to fit in with people who don't reflect what we want to be, but community. And one thing's for sure, you can't give yourself communion. And if, if for no other reason, to be at church for the sake of the Eucharist. There's a, there's a communion hymn we used to sing when I was growing up. Y'all will not be surprised that I'm reminded of a hymn. <laughs> but the verse says, uh, When we meet in sweet communion, where the feast divine is spread, hearts are brought in closer union. See, it brings tears to my eyes. Hearts are brought in closer union while partaking of the bread. Precious feast, all else surpassing, wondrous love for you and me. While we feast, Christ gently whispers, do this in my memory. I love that. Jesus didn't tell people to do that on their own. He knows we need one another. Mm. Amen. Amen. It's very hard this issue and i don't want i don't think any of us want to make it easy or be hard on others and um there are times when you're working through some personal issues or faith issues or does god exist issues and it's just unbearable and you just can't you know hack it and i get that mm-hmm. so please don't anybody to think that we're saying be there, be there, be there. It, it's again, it's finding out what does God want for me. But in principle, in principle, I think we're pro and want to encourage each other with this. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Friends in Formation. We really appreciate your questions. In fact, if we use your question on an episode, we'll send you a cool Friends in Formation coffee mug. It's our way of saying thanks for joining us. So send your questions to friends at renovare.org. That's friends at R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E dot org. And please tell your friends about Friends in Formation. There's always space at the table here.